Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. So today we're getting into uh, our kind of the, 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 the meat of our, our series here. Normally I don't sit in a stool. I, I, have, I think I have like a, a ADHD or something because I, I see things and they distract me and I have to keep moving. When I first started preaching, I would do this. Remember you guys would always, they would be like this the whole time. And so now this is my way of just centering myself because what we're going to be doing today is I'm going to be doing some, just some teaching today on uh, this topic of eternity is real. <clears throat> and we've been in a, this will be our third week of, of four, this week and next week, is really what you need to hear when it comes to the idea of eternity. And uh, I really felt like it was important to do this series because, uh, you know, there's a lot of churches today and a lot of pastors today who are teaching that heaven uh, and hell, or the afterlife, specifically the idea of hell, that hell is not uh, real, it doesn't exist, that we will all go to heaven. And I want you to know today, uh, we will talk about hell for a little bit, but hang on, I put it in the middle of the message, so we will end on heaven, praise God. But I'm not going to lie to you, there'll be a few moments today where either you are here today and you're a follower of Christ, or maybe you're not today, maybe you're watching online or you're in the room and you're far from the Lord, and I'm going to share some things with you today that I haven't made up. It's all from Scripture. Uh, it's taught right in the Word of God. Uh, and what we're going to do today is lay a foundation for what happens when I die. What, 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 is, what is heaven like? What is hell like? What is it like after I die? And we're going to talk about that today. Next week, we're going to look at the new heaven and the new earth. You do not want to miss next week. I believe next week's going to stir your faith. The purpose of this series it's not just to talk about a heavy topic. Trust me, I don't want to talk about hell, okay? I just want you to know that. I don't find joy in teaching on these, the afterlife. Uh, but I felt the Lord say I, I was going to change a series, and I felt like God really encouraged me and prompted me strongly to do this series despite uh, the, you know, the May long weekend and the renovations going on. I felt like because the purpose is to get us, snap us back to center as followers of Jesus to remind us that the life that we're living and the life that we have right now on this planet, it's beautiful, it's wonderful. I love my wife, I love my kids, I love my home. I love to fish, praise God. Can I hear somebody? By the, by the end of this year, you guys are gonna be excited with me for that, okay? I want you to be a little excited for me. It's my, own, my only joy in life other than my wife and sometimes my daughter. Oh, I love you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, little, little side note, little side note. I, I tend to walk in a room and I just have a bit of a nature that like, it's how God wired me. I will walk in a room, but I'll find 10 things in that room immediately that need to be changed or adjusted. It's just how my work. That's why I'm having a little bit of a problem with all the drywall and stuff. A little, a little kid came into the first service. He's like, hey, did you know there's no paint in the wall? I was like, yeah, kid, shut up. You know? <laughs> of course there's no paint in the wall. I didn't say that. Don't worry. I didn't tell him to shut up. But we walked into uh, Fat Burger. My son and I went to Fat Burger. That's where this came from. And uh, we were sitting there, and uh, I noticed that when I walked into the patio, they had a garbage can on the other side. It was kind of like an ugly background. And I first thought, man, they should put a screen up here to protect the view from that garbage can. And I sit down, didn't say a word. Ezra says, hey, Dad, guess what I'm thinking right now? I'm like, what's that? He's like, they should put up a screen. And I thought, oh, my gosh, my son is cursed. <laughs> with my terrible, terrible gift to see everything wrong in a room. <clears throat> I don't know what that had to do with eternity, but 
So what we're going to do is we're going we're to look today at what happens when we die, and we're going to talk a little bit about hell, and we're going to talk about heaven, and I want to encourage you to come back next week. And the reason is because tonight, or today and next week, is the foundation of our faith. Yeah. Did you know that when Jesus died on a cross and rose on the third day, do you know that the whole idea of our Christian faith isn't just so our sins will be forgiven? The whole purpose of this isn't just so that we'll have our sins forgiven. The whole purpose of all this is that we'll spend an eternity with him when we die. So there's this narrative, this idea that Christianity and that following Christ is just for this life. But you need to understand that this is a, a huge spiritual truth that you must grasp. And in fact, we'll take you to the next level in your walk with God. If you are stagnant and stale in your walk with God, most likely your attention is too much on this present earth. The reason you've gone dry, the reason you've lost your faith, the reason you're not excited about the things of God, the reason why you're feeling disconnected is because your attention is too much on the things of this planet. Our attention should be on the realities of heaven. And so I felt like I needed to bring this back to center. I need to bring our church back to the reality of why we exist as a church. We're not here in this church just to have a cute little church with comfy little seats for our butt, even though I like it. I like, you guys like it? Andrew really likes it. He's talking about the seat thing a little bit. Do you have a butt problem or something? Like, no one's ever complained about the seats. You have. Yeah, you should get that checked. <laughs> We're not here just to have cute church. We're here because eternity is real. We're here because there is an afterlife. We're here because people matter most and eternity is real. Life, life is short. I did that backwards, but it still works. We're, we're here because we need to be reminded that as followers of Jesus, often what we do when we're struggling, and I didn't share this in the first service, but I feel like I'm talking to somebody that, that I feel like that often what we do when we're struggling is we run to, to a pastor, or we run to a podcast, or we run to a message, or we run to a self-help book, or we run to a conference, or we run all these places saying, I need help with this present world. And all you have to do is stop and remember, this is temporary. Put your sights on heaven heaven. Look what the, the scripture tells us to do that, to put our eyes on the realities of heaven, not on this earth. And so I wanted to bring you back to center. And if you're visiting with us today and you say, man, this guy's intense. Yes, I am. And I apologize. I try not to be, but it's just the American in me. <clears throat> Lulu agrees. What happens when I die? I am instantly in eternity. The moment you die, the moment you pass from this earth, I talk like I've been there before. <laughs> the, moment, the moment you pass from this earth and you breathe your last breath, you are instantly present with God. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The moment you die, you are now aware of the, rea the real life, the real world, the realness to the afterlife, the realness to heaven and hell. You are now made perfectly aware. You see completely and now recognize when you look at the earth, you say, oh, that's why. Oh, this makes sense. Oh, that's why this. Oh, it all begins to make sense because now you have an eternal perspective, not an earthly perspective. Look what Paul says, as we talked about last week, we see things imperfectly like a puzzling reflection in a mirror, but then, say then, then. we will see everything with perfect clarity. And all that I know now is partial and incomplete. 
but then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely that we live in this hazy, foggy world where yes, we have moments of satisfaction and yes, we have moments of fulfillment and yes, we have moments of excitement and yes, we have moments that are joyful and awesome, but as you know, tomorrow comes. And those moments come where you don't, you feel disconnected and you feel lonely and you feel broken. And like we talked about last week, it's just the fogginess. It's the, it's the puzzling reflection of the world that we live in. But the moment that we pass for this life, everything comes into perfect clarity. Everything you've been questioning, all the things you've been wondering, now I understand why this and this, all that makes sense. It makes sense to me now. And as we understand that the moment you pass from this life, you are present with the Lord. There's a story when Jesus is on the cross and, and he's hanging there uh, next to two criminals. And the story's in Luke chapter 23. And it says one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffs. So you're the Messiah, are you? Well, prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. He continued up, but the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, we don't know why this guy was on the, cro on the cross being crucified. All we know is that he was a criminal. He had lived a criminal's life, and he was now having a criminal's death. But at this moment, he said, I know I've made mistakes in my life. I know I've fallen short. I know I'm literally up to the last few moments of my life. But Jesus, when you get to your kingdom, will you remember? me, and Jesus' response was, I assure you, today, say today, today. you will be with me in paradise, today, yes. not tomorrow, the moment you pass from this world, the moment you pass from this life, you are present with God, and he says, today, you will be with me in paradise, we had two criminals, and each criminal, one would spend an eternity in paradise, and one would spend eternity in another destination. When you and I die, we are instantly in the presence of God, and the Bible teaches us that there is something called, I tried to find a synonym for this world, this word, just to soften the blow, but it is what it is. Uh, we face something called the judgment of faith. In Hebrews chapter 9, it tells us that each of us, each person, is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. This judgment of faith is based upon your confession of faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. The outcome of this judgment is, de is, is determined whether you will go to the present heaven or the present hell. This confession of faith in Jesus Christ is, is, is access by way to the Father through Jesus Christ by confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord and that you believe he's God and he's the Lord and the Savior of your life. The Bible teaches us that you will spend an eternity in heaven. This decision is not based on what you do on this planet, but purely your faith in Jesus Christ. You could, your entire life, the works that you've done, the things that you've done, whether good or bad, do not determine whether or not you will spend an eternity in this present heaven. Simply, it is by your faith in Jesus Christ. The works that you do and the good things that you do on this planet are not to get to heaven. They are evidence of your faith in Christ. And we see in Titus chapter three, it says this. If it wasn't so long ago that we ourselves were stupid, you like that? <laughs> and stubborn, yep. dupes of sin, ordered every which way by our glands, 
going around with a chip on our shoulder, hated and hating back. But when God, our kind and loving Savior God, stepped in, he saved us from all of that. It was all his doing. We had nothing to do with it. He gave us a good bath, praise God. Amen? Amen. Some of you should get another one. And we came out of it new people. Ezra, washed inside and out by the Holy Spirit. Our Savior Jesus poured out new life so generously. God's gift has restored our relationship with him and given us back our lives. And there's more life to come, an eternity of life. You can count on this. They like that. He says, you've been washed, you've been restored, not based upon the things you've done on this planet. Now, next week, we'll talk about how your life, how you live your life does matter in eternity. In fact, we'll talk about this next week. Did you know that the things that you do on this life do have implications for the new heaven and the new earth? That there's two judgments, a judgment of faith and a judgment of works. Did you know that? You don't get into heaven because of your works. You access heaven by faith. But there is a life, a, a, a life you will live in the new heaven and the new earth determined by how you choose to live your life on this planet. We'll talk about that next week. You might want to come back and hear it. <laughs> Every person, both those who believe and those who don't, will be judged immediately when they die concerning their faith in Jesus, that he is God, that he is the way, that he is the truth, and he is the life. And based upon that determination, there will be two destinations. I don't like talking about this just as much as you don't like hearing it. There are two destinations. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And the, mo the, the afterlife, the Bible actually clearly indicates that the afterlife life is, a, is a, a literal place, a literal place that we go, a literal place that we experience, a literal place that we will encounter. Look what Randy Alcorn said in his book on In Heaven. In the intermediate heaven and hell, we will await the time until Jesus returns to restore the new heavens and the new earth. Until that day comes, scripture teaches that those who die will go to a real place, either the present heaven or the present hell, as conscious human beings with memory of their lives and relationships on earth, those, uh, um, those in hell will live in misery, hopelessness, and apparent isolation, while those in heaven will live in comfort, joy, and a rich relationship with God and with others. Okay, so let's take a few moments. Hang out with me. Don't walk out like some did in the first service. Tyler and James stood up and walked out when I started talking about hell. It's going to be okay. Pastor James, sit back down, okay? Take a few moments. We're talking about hell, so hang on. Get a little easy online. Don't, don't log off and find another Joel Steen message. Just kidding. Ha ha. Uh, stay with me, okay? Those of you who like Joel Steen, it's okay. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Jesus, over three and a half years, Jesus taught 26 times on hell. He taught, first and foremost, on the kingdom of God. The second most thing he taught about was money. The, th the, the things we don't like talking about in church, money and hell. <laughs> the third thing he taught about was hell. 26 times in three and a half years. He taught on hell. He's an expert. And what he did was he taught that hell is a literal place and describes it in graphic terms. See, many of us today want to reject the idea of hell. And in fact, one of the reasons I'm teaching this is because, as I mentioned, there are churches in Calgary that are teaching uh, something called universalism that everyone will end up in heaven. 
Some believe that you'll go to hell for a season and then eventually God will restore all people back to heaven. Or some believe that hell doesn't even exist and then all will go to heaven. I want you to know today, I'm telling you this because I love you. That is not true. And I'm telling you today, if you're watching online or you're in the room today and you are attending or listening to a pastor or preacher who is teaching that hell does not exist, they are false teachers and they do not love you. Jesus, our Savior God, who created us, taught about hell. Why? Because he loves you. You say, Ryan, yes, but why would a loving God send people to hell? God does not send people to hell. God does not send a single individual to hell. God does not do that. People choose. We have a choice. We can serve God or we cannot. It's a hard choice to make. But at the end of the day, we have to remember something. If pastors and preachers and churches that are teaching about the realities of the afterlife and hell, I'm doing it because I want you to spend an eternity with Christ in heaven. And so if you're here today and you say, man, I don't know Jesus. I want you to know Jesus, not just because I'm trying to beat you over the head so you can give money to the church. I love you and I want you to know Christ. And I want you to experience an eternity with him. Look what a few authors have said about this idea. Randy Alcorn, again, in his book, Heaven, the belief in hell sucks. (laughs) I don't want to believe in it. But if I make what I want or what others want, the basis for my beliefs that I am a follower of myself and a follower of my culture and not a follower of Christ. Look what Dorothy Sayers said, a novelist. She said, there seems to be a kind of conspiracy to forget or to conceal where the, con- the doctrine of hell comes from. The doctrine of hell is not medieval priestcraft for frightening people into giving money to the church. It's Christ's deliberate judgment on sin. We cannot repudiate hell without altogether repudiating Christ. C.S. Lewis said, a great book, Problem of Pain, if you're looking for a good book to read, there is no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than this if it lay in my power, but it has the full support of Scripture and specifically of our Lord's own words that has always been held by Christendom and it has the support of reason. So when someone spends an eternity in hell, they will go to a place called Hades or Sheol. Hades is the New Testament. Sheol would be the Old Testament description, a temporary place. And Jesus actually took a portion of scripture to teach us on what hell and heaven might look like. And if you know when Jesus teaches parables, he never uses names. He never uses distinct locations. He never uses such detail. Jesus, I believe, used such detail because he wasn't talking about a parable or making this up. I believe that this is an actual account that Jesus is referring to. And many theologians would agree with me that we see some important realities about the present heaven and the present hell in this very simple description of what Jesus says in Luke chapter 16. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine living and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a little beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, in hell, where he was in torment, look at this, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away. Here he is in hell. He can look up to heaven and he sees Abraham and he sees Lazarus, capital L, Lazarus, capital L, Abraham. So he called him Father Abraham. He's communicating to heaven. He says, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to look at this physical form to tip his finger in water and cool my tongue. 
because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime, you receive your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he's comforted and you are in agony. And beside all this, between us and you, look at this, there was a great chasm, look at this, watch this now, which has been set in place, look at this, so that those who want to go from heaven to hell cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. There is a chasm where it says, even if people wanted to come down and see their loved ones, even if people wanted to come and see their family, even if people wanted to come and see individuals, they cannot because there is a great chasm that separates us. And he answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. For if I have five, five brothers, now he's remembering. He's considering their belief. He's remembering their brothers. He's remembering their eternal, their, 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 their relationship with God. He's having a memory of his past life. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And this is what Abraham said. If they, do not, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. So here we see very clearly in the scripture, Lazarus was with people. He was in community with Abraham while the rich man was alone. The rich man was able to reason. He communicated with Abraham and Lazarus. Uh, you see that they maintained their distinctive individuality. Lazarus and Abraham and this rich man, there was a continuity between their earthly lives and their eternal lives. The rich man remembered and possibly see, saw that his brothers were lost and he was concerned with their well-being. And the, 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 rich, the rich Lazarus, or the, I'm sorry, the rich man and Lazarus were were. were, uh, were to have physical form with tongues and a tip of finger. And we see in verse 23, it says that he was in torment. This word torment is an interesting word. The word actually refers to the idea of physical torment. Now remember, the, the narrative we believe today is that the devil and his demons are down prodding and poking us with pitchforks in hell. Remember, the, the devil doesn't have any rulership in the afterlife. Remember that. He's the one being tormented. He's the one being taken dominion over. The devil doesn't have any dominion. Only God has all the dominion. And you'll notice that in hell, there is physical torment. That word torment there literally means acute pain from dehabilitating diseases. There's, there's, constant, there's, there's, there's no rest. You're always tired. You ever been in a season of your life where you're just going, 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 and you're so exhausted that any time, you know, someone's driving in traffic and they just put their blinker on, you're like, why do you need to get in here? You're just like super irritable, you know? And you just need a rest. What do you do? You go and take a nap. You rest. Well, in hell, there's no rest. There's, there's, there's no way to, uh, to cause rest for my soul. You're constantly tired. You're perpetually hungry. You're always thirsty. You're never full. Your thirst is never quenched. There's mental torment. There's constant weeping and grieving for the loss of the realities of heaven. The, the Bible, Jesus teaches about there's grinding of teeth or gnashing of teeth. This is the idea of you gnashing your teeth together. The word actually me, uh, refers to animals eating food greedily. Have you ever seen animals in the wild when one animal's eating on a carcass and another animal comes up? And when that animal comes up to take a bite, the animal that's eating goes, ah, grits his teeth and says, this is my food. Touch my food. This grinding of teeth is, 
this anger at other people, this frustration with life, this gnashing of teeth. The same word was used when Stephen was being stoned to death. And it says that Stephen was preaching the gospel about Jesus and he was looking up into heaven. And as they were throwing stones at him, he says, I see Jesus standing from his throne. And while they were, they said, stop it! And plug their ears and they gnashed their teeth. You don't know heaven. Heaven's reserved for us. We're the religious people. You are a heretic. You are blasphemous. They gnashed their teeth at him. It was anger, a deep anger that this individual is seeing Jesus and I'm not. I deserve to be in hell. It refers to this idea of being like a beast. It's a place where your desires and your lusts and your appetites are never quenched. You can have anything you want in hell, but it will never satisfy. There'll be constant guilt. I know I'm a sinner, just like you are. And I've had those moments when you're just about to sin or... Maybe you're going to go buy something you shouldn't buy or see something you shouldn't see. And there's just that, come on, just be honest with me for a minute. There's just that moment of pleasure. And then after that moment of sin, what do you feel? You feel guilt. You feel shame. You feel insecurity. You feel disconnection from God. You feel disconnection from your, from your neighbors or friends. You just feel that that state, that emotional state is constant and never ending. There is relational torment. You hate People, in fact, the very essence of, uh, of hell is loneliness that you don't want to be near people, but everything in you wants to be in community, but you hate other people. You just can't stand being around them. I, I you know, <laughs> sorry, this is kind of a digression, a little bit of a funny thing. Sometimes when people eat popcorn, you know, you know, when they eat popcorn and they eat one kernel at a time, and when they chew that popcorn kernel, it goes, eee. you ever heard that? And it just drives you nuts. You're like, would you stop eating the popcorn? You're just constantly frustrated and angry and irritated and constantly in a state where you can't stand people and you hate heaven because it's intimate and there's community and you're watching the community and all you want to do is be alone, but you can't be alone because all I'm ever is around people and I can see their problems and I can see their idiosyncrasies and it's driving me nuts and it's constant. In fact, there is a complete separation from God. Did you know that the presence of God is in hell? The Bible teaches us this in Psalms 139, 7 and 8. It says this, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I free from your presence? If I, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, in Sheol, you're there. His presence is everywhere. And, and the idea isn't that, that the people in hell don't want God's presence. They actually do. But in order to experience God's presence, do you know what it requires? Repentance. Laying down my pride. You're telling me that the only way to experience your grace and mercy is for me to humble myself and admit that I'm the sinner and that you're God? No way. I'm not doing that. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm fine, though there's something in me that wants that grace, and I want that forgiveness, but I'll never humble myself. I'll never repent of my sin. There's nothing wrong with me. There's something wrong with you. It's your fault. You're the problem. Constant state of separation from God and ultimately utter darkness. A place where you sense the cold the cold of, of darkness and the isolation of darkness and the confusion of darkness. 
Hell will be agonizingly dull and small and insignificant and without company, without purpose, without accomplishment, utter inactivity, utter insignificance, continuously thirsty, continuously hungry, ultimate, ultimate loneliness and loss of identity where you don't know who you are. Look what Randy Alcorn says about this. Heaven is not our default destination. No one goes there automatically unless our sin problem is resolved. The only place we will go is our true default destination, hell. See, Ryan, that's not nice. I'm sorry, but this is what the gospel of Jesus Christ teaches us. Hell will be inhabited by people who haven't received God's gift of redemption in Christ. Jesus teaches that in hell, the wicked will suffer terribly and are fully conscious, retain their desires and memories and reasoning, long for relief, cannot be comforted, cannot leave their torment and are left to bereft of hope. See, this is why we exist as a church, to help people know that this is a literal, real place that you will spend if you do not have a personal relationship with the one and only living God. Let's talk about heaven. Amen? Amen. Amen. Take that sweat off. Here we go. Let's talk a little bit about what people are like in heaven. And we talked a little bit about it already, but we see that there's identity in heaven. There's distinction in heaven. I'm not going to dissect this scripture. The purpose of sharing this verse isn't to uh, prove a biblical point on the context of the verse. It's more to observe the details of the text. And as we see, John is having a vision throughout the book of Revelation. He's experiencing visions of heaven. And we see this vision of heaven in Revelation chapter 6, verse 9 to 10. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar souls of all who have been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? So here we are in heaven, and there's, an, uh, there's the idea of time. There's the idea of we don't know what's totally going to play out. How long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of the fellow servants, this will give you indication of when the return of Christ would be uh, uh, triggered, uh, their brothers should be complete who were killed as they themselves have been. So scripture is saying that there are a bunch of Christians that need to be murdered for their faith before Christ can return. North Americans love to hear that. <laughs> we see here some details, really interesting details. We see uh, there's distinct individuals. We see that they, had, they, they were given white robes to wear. You see that they were aware of what was happening on earth. There was, they, were, they were called martyrs. They were seen for the type of life that they had lived on the planet. And the, each of them was given this white robe and they had distinctive differences. And we see that they have a personal relationship with the intimate God. They're literally in the very throne room of God having a conversation so much so that they're challenging God. God, 
What's going on? Father, help me understand. Why have you not redeemed the world yet? Why have you not brought vengeance to the death that I experienced and the people that are being murdered? I don't understand exactly what's going on. They are having a, a chat with God, talking with God, an audience with God. People in heaven were free to ask questions and they articulated their concerns and they inquired about things that they didn't know yet. And God answered them and God talked to them and God communicated with them. And they were fully aware of the attributes of God, that he's sovereign and that he's holy and that he's true. And they were absolutely in the very presence of God. And they were emotional and rational and communicative and passionate beings. They, they were fully consciously aware of one another. And Abraham and Lazarus were aware of one another. And they were aware of the rich man in hell. They were aware of other martyrs in that place. And they were revered for what they did on earth and saw that these individuals, he saw these guys were martyrs. They were people who died for their faith. They, they, they kept their testimony all the way to the very end. They remembered their time on earth. And they, they remembered what was happening on the earth. Fully aware of what is going on. Then they were interceding and they were praying on behalf of the issues that they saw. They're in fact interceding for the suffering Christians who were experiencing difficulty across the world and experiencing persecution. Their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who are being persecuted and murdered for their faith. This speaks to a vital connection that's happening between the events of the people of earth and the events of the people of heaven. People in heaven have a strong connection with what's happening on the earth. There's a deep concern for justice. They know that they've been killed. They know that others are being killed. They want God to intervene. They would imply that, the, 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 look at this, in heaven there is a requirement for patience, for them to wait. Wait, I know you want this to happen. I know you want to see what's, what's going to happen in this moment. Let me encourage you with this for a minute. Well, you need to understand something. We are not just on clouds looking, the, looking at each other, wearing little doily claws, playing harps. We are absolutely unequivocally involved with the drama of heaven, with what's going on below us. That means this, that every drop of blood, every tear that you shed, every difficulty that you're facing, not only is God and not only is the angels, but the people in heaven are looking down right now at you saying, it's going to be okay. Come on, keep fighting the good fight of faith. Come on, don't give up. Come on, keep going. In heaven, there is a deep concern for justice. They have a deep desire to understand God. God, when will you avenge? When will you finish this up, God? There's this idea in heaven that we won't know all things, but we will learn and we will grow and understand more things. In fact, we see here again in this book, Heaven, the unfolding drama of redemption awaiting Christ's return is currently happening on earth. Earth is center court. Center stage, awaiting the consummation of Christ's return and the establishment of his kingdom. This seems a compelling reason to believe that the current inhabitants of heaven will be able to observe what's happening on the earth. If the sovereign God's attention is on the earth, why wouldn't the attention of his heavenly subject be focused here as well? Therefore, can we be sad or grieve in heaven? Happiness in heaven is not based on ignorance, but on perspective. 
Those who live in the presence of Christ find great joy in worshiping God and living as righteous beings in rich fellowship for in a sinless environment. So while all of heaven is looking down on the great drama of the fight between good and evil, the encouragement of scripture is for you and I to not place our eyes on heaven, but to place our, our, our on earth, but to place our eyes on heaven. So while all of heaven is looking at earth, followers of Jesus are to look at heaven. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to this life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin. What's going to slow me down? Sin. Sin that easily trips you up. It's going to slow us down. And whenever sin trips us up, guess what we do? We go from this to this. We start looking at our present world and our present life and our present situation and our present home and our present bills and our present hardships and our present difficulty and our present guilt and our present life and our present family and our present drama. And God says, get your eyes off the drama of this planet. Get your eyes back on the realities of heaven. And remember that as a sinner, he set you free. He forgave you. He, he, he's redeemed you. Especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Look at this. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. He continues, Paul, Colossians 3, I've read this every week, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven. This is what I'm trying to do. Stimulate your mind to think, not the things of earth, for you died to this life. Your real life, say real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. Now, as we end our time today, I want to leave you, I want to try to stir your, your senses a little bit. I want to stir your, your creativity a little bit to help you understand what heaven might be like. We actually see a scripture in Hebrews chapter 9, 11, and 24. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. Look what he says. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only, look, a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. This verse is suggesting that God created the earth in the image of heaven, just like he created us in the image of God. These verses are suggesting that earth is a copy of the real deal heaven. Look at this. And often our thinking is backwards. Why do we imagine that God patterns his holy city after an earthly city? As if heaven knows nothing of community and culture and has, has to get its ideas from us. Isn't it more likely that the earthly realities, including cities, are derived from heavenly counterparts? We tend to start with earth and reason up toward heaven when instead we should start with heaven and reason down toward earth. It isn't merely an accommodation to our earthly familial structure, for instance, that God calls himself a father and us children 
On the contrary, he created father-child relationships to display his relationship with us, just as he created human marriage to reveal his love relationship between Christ and his bride. And in the same way that God created us in his image, I believe that God created this earth as an image of heaven. So when we look at this earth, we see some realities of heaven. We see glimpses of heaven. In fact, Jesus calls it paradise. That word paradise was the word called enclosed garden. It's actually the word that King Cyrus used to describe his Persian kingly palace that he built. This this idea of this garden, this garden of God. And the reality is, is that it's paradise. What's paradise for you? What's paradise in your life? Think about it for a minute. Maybe it's this picture right here. Sitting on the Caribbean beach in a hammock. Praise God. Come on, somebody. Anybody? Okay. Come on, how about this? On a canoe in the middle of the, the water with the beautiful mountains or these mountains here. What is your version of paradise? The Grand Canyon and mountains. Beautiful. Do you think that, do you think that earth made this up? No, this was God's picture, uh, just a glimpse, just a sliver, just an iota of what heaven is really like. That when we see the things of this earth and the paradises of this earth and the beautiful realities of this planet, you and I realize that this is beautiful. It's like paradise, but it's only a fraction of what God has in store for you and for me as we confess our faith in Jesus Christ. Just a fragment just a picture, just a sliver. In a book that uh, Randy Alcorn wrote called Safely Home, we see this beautiful uh, story of how this young man ended up going to heaven. And at the very end of it, he began to describe what, 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 what heaven looked like. And we see these pictures of the garden gate. Actually, you want to know, chat GPT created these. <laughs> um, these pictures of the Garden of Eden. And that's uh, AI bot, you know, knows about the Garden of Eden. This is what he said as he finally went to heaven compared to what he now beheld the world he'd come from earth was a land of shadows colorless and two-dimensional this place was fresh heaven and captivating resonating with color and beauty he could not only see it and hear it but feel and smell and taste it every hillside every mountain every waterfall every frolicking animal in the fields seemed to beckon him to come and join them to come from the outside and plunge into the inside this whole world had the feel of cool water on a blistering august afternoon the light beckoned him to dive in with abandon to come join the great adventure i know what this is he says this is the substance that casts all those shadows in the other world earth the circles there are copies of the spheres there the squares there are copies of cubes here the triangles there are copies of pyramids here earth was a flatland gray colorless this is well the inside is bigger than the outside isn't it how many dimensions are there well, far more than you have seen yet the king said laughing this is a place that defines and gives meaning to all places i've never imagined that it would be like this. You take in your mind the most beautiful thing you can imagine on this planet and you've just tasted a blip, a moment, a sliver of eternity. 
you, I wanna stir you towards the idea that the picture of heaven you might have is not the picture that the Bible paints. The Bible paints a beautiful afterlife for you and for me. And it starts by a confession of faith in Jesus Christ is our Lord. Next week, we're gonna talk about the new heaven, the new earth. What's gonna happen? It's kinda of like this. Let's just say for a moment, you were living in downtown Calgary and you were living in a homeless shelter in downtown Calgary. And you found out that you had inherited a home in the beautiful coast of the Amalfi Coast in Italy. Come on, somebody, praise God. And you knew that, that that's my home and my family's gonna be there and my friends are gonna be there. And so you get ready, you get on a plane and as you're flying there, you have to take a stop and you stop right in the beautiful beaches of Miami Beach, praise God. And here you are, you get off the plane, and you're enjoying the beautiful food and the beautiful weather. And while you're there, you have, a, you have this incredible relationships and awesome things. It's so much fun. You're enjoying it. It's so great. And people come up to you and say, hey, what's your final destination? Is this your final destination? You say, no, Miami Beach is not my final destination. The Amalfi Coast is my final destination. I'm just here for a few hours. I'm just here on a layover. I'm just here temporarily. One day, Christ will return for his church. And when that happens, I'm gonna leave this place and I'm gonna go to the new heaven and I'm gonna go to the new earth. And I am telling you, if you can just for one moment wrap your brain around the realities of the new heaven and the new earth, which is the backbone and spinal cord of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, it will stir your faith. It will get you passionate for the things of God, once again knowing that this life is just a temporary moment, but the length of your hand, but our life in the new heaven and the new earth will be for an eternity. Make sure you come back next week as we finish this series on eternity. I want you to stand to your feet and let me pray for you this morning. Come on, just close your eyes for a moment. I want to just pray and ask a question. I want to give an opportunity for anyone in the room today who doesn't know Christ, doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. If you're watching online or you're in the room today, come on, every eye closed. You're here today and you say, Ryan, I do not know Jesus. I don't have a relationship with God. And I would like to start one today. I want to spend an eternity in heaven with Christ. Come on, with every eye closed, you're in the room today and you say, Ryan, that's me. And either you've fallen away from God and you want to make a rededication to him today or you want to make a confession of faith for the very first time today. Come on, just put your hand in the air real quick and put it right back down. I won't call you forward or embarrass you. Come on, amen. Anybody else in the room today want to give your life to Jesus Christ today? Come on, amen. Come on, Father, right now we just pray, Lord. Lord, we pray for this individual who's raised their hand today. I pray the Lord as they've made a fresh commitment to serve you, Lord, that you'd fill their life. You'd remind them that, God, that you love them, that you have a plan for them. Jesus, I want to say thank you for creating us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that you're not an angry God. You're a loving God, and your love is unconditional. That as far as the east is from the west, so you've removed our transgressions from us. And we get to spend an eternity with you. And not only then, but we get to live an abundant life right now, but Lord, in the life to come. So I pray for those in the room today, God, who are far from you, or those who don't know you today, that they make a confession of faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we put our eyes back on you. We put our eyes back on eternity right now. Come on, just for a moment, just as a symbolic gesture. Come on, I want you to place your eyes up in the air. Come on, look at the ceiling right now for a moment. God, we place our eyes up to you. We put our eyes 
focus on your kingdom. Lord, it says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added unto you. So today, God, we put our eyes on you, Jesus. We put our eyes on your kingdom. We put our eyes on your word and your purposes, and we declare that, God, that we will live a life that serves you and honors you and pleases you in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Come on, everybody said real loud. Amen. Come on,